welcome to Fantastic History. I'm Sarah. And I'm Clay. We're a husband and wife duo who enjoy telling each other about amazing events, people, and mysteries throughout history. Now, when this episode releases, we will be in the first week of Spooktober, I think. Mm, yes. So, as part of the lead up to Halloween, aka Goth Christmas, I want to tell you a true tale about ghosts. Okay. Now, I don't want to hear it from you, Scully. <laughs> because yes, this is a totally true tale about ghosts and psychics and one particular gentleman you may have heard of by the name of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Mm. Mm. Okay. I'm, right. I'm, I'm intrigued. Yeah. So Sir Arthur is not the ghost in this story. Just to get out ahead of that. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to do a big life story on him either. Like I just did for John Dillinger or anything. I'm not even going to really talk about his work writing Sherlock Holmes as much as I could talk about that all day, every day. Okay. No, no. Today's story is about Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and the Victorian spiritualist movement. Have you heard of this before? It sounds familiar, but um, I I don't recall very much. So okay. this is going to be a lot of it's going to be new to me. I'm oh, sure. I'm so excited. Well, before we get going, I want to shout out my sources. I got this information from articles written by Dr. Andre Danico, Dr. Elizabeth Savage, and Lydia Smith, and a post from ArthurConanDoyleCenter.com. And all of those will be linked in the show notes if you'd like to check them out. Now, as we established in the Lonnie Zamora and Wars of the Roses episodes, ghosts are extremely real. Mm. They walk among us, and I won't be hearing anything to the contrary, so don't even bother. Well, don't even bother. Okay. Uh, to that end, are you familiar with spiritualism at all? Like, well, could you be more specific? Well, that's that's the name of the movement is spiritualism. Okay, then probably not. Okay. Well, basically, it's what it sounds like. Uh, to quote from the Encyclopedia of Occultism and Parapsychology, spiritualism is a belief in the continuity of consciousness after the transition of death and the possibility of communication between those living on Earth and those who have made that transition. Okay. So basically the belief that ghosts can talk to us, like that your your consciousness is kind of a, almost like a separate entity from your body and it continues when your body, you know, dies. Okay. Okay. So there was a huge boom in spiritualism, mostly in English-speaking countries, between the mid-1800s and the 1920s, which is not at all surprising when you think of the two biggest events that happened during that time, the American Civil War and World War I. Mm -hmm. Millions of people kissed their loved ones goodbye, sent them marching off to war, and then never saw them again, and in many cases never even saw their bodies again. There was no sort of closure, just a big empty space where someone they cared for should have been. So, of course, in that situation, you'd be desperate to see the dearly departed one last time to say goodbye, to receive any sort of parting message from them. Historically, there's always been a rise in spiritualism during times of mass distress and loss, even as recently as the COVID-19 pandemic. Oh, You see a lot more people when there's a lot of death, like mass deaths. You, a lot more people go to psychics. A lot more people, you know, buy Ouija boards and pendulums and like just you go to see mediums, like anything to help you get some closure. Okay. Pretty much. Now, like yourself, 
Sir Arthur considered himself a man of science. Mm. He received a Bachelor of Medicine and Master of Surgery degrees from the University of Edinburgh Medical School in 1881. And while he was in school, he also studied practical botany. In fact, one of his earliest published works was an article in the British Medical Journal in 1879 called Gelsimium as Poison. And that has been relevant to like solving murders as recently as the 21st century. Wow. So he was really, I mean, this is a smart dude. After graduation, he served as a surgeon on board the SS Mayumba, then returned to school to complete his doctor of medicine degree before opening a practice in Plymouth, then moving the business to Portsmouth before eventually moving on to the study of ophthalmology. In the midst of all this, he started writing Sherlock Holmes stories and I defy you to find a more logical, methodical, science-minded character in all of fiction than Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, absolutely. It, it simply can't be done. And keep in mind that it's the late 1800s when he's writing Sherlock. So the depth and breadth of Sherlock's knowledge all comes from Sir Arthur himself. I mean, of course, he can go and reference text like at the library, but he can't just Google, you know, the specific brand of tobacco used in Malaysian cigarettes or whatever and build out a story from there. <laughs> he has to already kind of know this stuff. Yeah. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was a brilliant man, a respected academic, and the creator of the world's greatest detective. I want to really hammer it in that he wasn't just some backwoods ding dong who's going to fall for anything. Now, although he was raised Catholic, Sir Arthur became an agnostic as a teenager and was by nature both curious and open-minded on the subject of religion. It's not that surprising then that in 1886, he was particularly moved by a two-volume book called Spiritualism by Dr. George Dexter and John Worth Edmonds, who was at the time of that writing a justice of the New York Supreme Court. These were, like Sir Arthur, intelligent and respected men, which gave their words and experiences more weight than if it was just like me talking about the ghost that haunts our house. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he was especially taken by Judge Edmonds' story of communicating with his own wife after her death and his experiences with the famous Fox sisters who were celebrity mediums that held public seances. As an aside, and Clay, I know this will shock you in particular, but the Fox sisters were massive frauds. Oh, what? I know. They made loads of money by basically cracking their joints under the table and convincing people that it was ghosts knocking. Oh, my. In response to questions. God. I know. That blows your mind, right? They eventually came right out and said that that's what they were doing the entire time. So that's not just me being rude. They were like, no, we're just, we have weird joints and we can crack our toes and knuckles and stuff. And it, it sounds like knocking. Mm. Next question. Yeah. Um, but you know, just to put that out there. <laughs> now, around this time, he also started attending what's known as table turnings at the homes of some of his patients because he's still a practicing doctor. Table turning is another thing that's pretty much what it sounds like. People gather around the table at a seance and place their hands on the tabletop and wait for it to start turning or levitating in response to letters being called out. It was basically an early Ouija board. Okay. The person leading the seance would start going through the alphabet and the table would tilt or whatever on the appropriate level for whatever they were trying to spell. It honestly sounds like a huge pain in the ass. Yeah, very uh, time consuming. Right. And especially if you are of the belief that this is completely fake, somebody's having to like sit there and like, okay, don't. Okay, the letter N's coming up. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. 
oh, let her in. Okay, boom. And then bump the table without anybody noticing. And like, it just, it sounds like a lot of work if it's not <laughs> legitimate. You know what I mean? Like, there's got to be a better way, guys. Well, there was. Well, eventually, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, by 1887, Sir Arthur was fully drawn into the spiritualism mo- movement. Referring to a particularly eventful seance he'd attended, he wrote to a friend, I was so impressed that I wrote an account of it to light the Psychic Weekly paper. And so in the year, I actually put myself on the public record as a student of these matters. A couple of years later, he joined the Hampshire Society of Psychical Research then moved up to the better established and more highly respected Society for Psychical Research by 1893. The SPR, as it's more commonly known, was established in Cambridge in 1882 and is still active to this day. Hmm. It was founded by a journalist named Edmund Rogers and a physicist named William Barrett and was the first organization of its kind in the world. So it's pretty cool that they're still around. The aim of the SPR was, in reference to metaphysical matters, to quote, approach these varied problems without prejudice or prepossession of any kind, and in the same spirit of exact and unimpassioned inquiry, which has enabled science to solve so many problems. Hmm. So they seem to be like they're more Team Clay than Team Sarah on this, honestly. So this is a very level-headed approach to something that might seem fantastical to other scientifically-minded people. Yeah, it's interesting, yeah. Well, what else is interesting is to note that a lot of respected scientists of this time period were spiritualists, and that's what made Sir Arthur so accepting of it. In his 1918 book, New Revelation, he writes, I was amazed to find what a number of great men, men whose names were to the fore of science, thoroughly believed that spirit was independent of matter and could survive it. When I regarded spiritualism as a vulgar delusion of the uneducated, I could afford to look down upon it. But when it was endorsed by men like Crookes, whom I knew to be the most rising British chemist, by Wallace, who was the rival of Darwin, and by Flammarion, the best known of astronomers, I could not afford to dismiss it. It was all very well to throw down the books of these men which contained their mature conclusions and careful investigation and to say, well, he has one weak spot in his brain. But a man has to be very self-satisfied if the day does not come when he wonders if the weak spot is not in his own brain. Mm. Mm. Sir Arthur was all in after joining the SPR, (laughs) even going so far as to join ghost hunts and conduct experiments of his own that he felt proved the existence of telepathic abilities. He began giving public lectures in 1917 and did actual world tours to espouse his beliefs and bring more people on board with spiritualism. Wow. Oh, yeah. And this, I mean, this is, he's still writing Sherlock Holmes at this time. So, like, his name is putting butts in seats. Forget it. This was such an enormous part of his life um, that nearly a third of all the books he ever wrote, either fiction or nonfiction, were focused on spiritualism or featured spiritualist characters. To put that in perspective for you, he wrote eight novels and short story collections about Sherlock Holmes, but he wrote 20 spiritualism-based books. If you know much at all about Sir Arthur, you know that he grew to hate Sherlock Holmes with every fiber of his being. He didn't want to be remembered for Sherlock. He wanted to be remembered for this stuff. This stuff, this was his life's work. Okay. Yeah. So this was, you know 
prefer Sherlock personally, but that's, you know, <laughs> one one person's opinion. Well, it, it, if I recall, most people did because uh, didn't he have to bring him back from the dead? Oh, yeah. After Reichenbach Falls, he had to bring him back because his own mother was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> his own mom was mad about it. Like, <laughs> have you actually lost it? Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, yeah. Uh, and he came back, interestingly, in The Hound of the Baskervilles. That was Sherlock's big return, uh, which is a ghost story. Mm. So, I don't know. Uh, during this time, he made friends with another incredibly famous man who you've probably heard of named Harry Houdini. Ooh, I've heard of Harry Houdini. Uh, you have? Yeah, me too. Uh, the best known illusionist of all time was touring England in 1920, and Sir Arthur walked away from one of his performances believing that Houdini had supernatural abilities. Like, there's no way he's <laughs> doing all this stuff in like a mundane manner. It's simply not possible. Uh-huh. Uh, Houdini was not even the tiniest bit down with spiritualism and made it his life's work to prove that all mediums were giant hack frauds. Right. But this did not stop him and Sir Arthur from forming an odd couple style friendship. Unfortunately, in 1922, Houdini accepted an invitation to join in on a seance that Sir Arthur was hosting and at which Mrs. Doyle was acting as the medium. Uh, Dr. Danico wrote, Lady Doyle in a hypnotic trance wrote automatically a long message in English from Mrs. Weiss, Houdini's mother. Houdini understood that it was trickery because his late mother barely knew English. He announced publicly that spiritualism is a fraud and thus he ended his friendship with Doyle. Mm, I'll do it. Yeah. Houdini was obviously pissed about this and who wouldn't be yeah. right. Like it goes way over the line to pretend to be somebody's dead mom. I think we can probably all agree on that. Absolutely. Uh, I don't know if Sir Arthur was in on it. And just trying to like win his friend over to his side, like oh, this will convince him that spiritualism is real, right? Or if he thought that his wife really was a medium and this was all on the level. But, it, you know, either way, it didn't really matter anymore because Houdini responded by following Sir Arthur around on tour denouncing spiritualism and showing his audience the secret behind the various tricks so-called mediums were using. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. He, he became the pen and teller. Of spiritualism, basically, like here's here's how it's done. You can't you can't come up with a trick that I can't figure out. Yeah, was basically his whole thing. Yeah, and, and I mean Houdini's probably the one to to do that. Uh, yeah, if anybody can. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That that's 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 really shitty thing to do. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. To a friend. Mm-hmm. Man, that's that's that, that's awful. Yeah, that's there's no excuse for that. Like whether like, and especially if Sir Arthur knew that that's what was up. Like it wasn't, you know that. Mm-mm. Yeah, no, that's no good. If if that was kind of how it went down, then he deserved to be followed around on a on a heckling <laughs> tour. A I, heckling tour, yeah, yeah, Oof, yuck. So it's no secret that there were loads of fraudulent mediums during this time, apparently including. Mrs. Doyle. Uh, see the previously mentioned Fox sisters for another great example of that. Yeah. Uh, this was even something that Sir Arthur spoke on regularly. The rift in their beliefs was that Houdini believed that because some of these people were committing fraud, it meant that they all were. Whereas Sir Arthur had experienced the inexplicable firsthand and knew with everything he had that this stuff was true. That a few people being liars didn't mean that everyone was. Which is fair. Mm-hmm. To that end, 
Sir Arthur Conan Doyle Center points out on their website that some modern-day psychologists, parapsychologists, physicists, and neuroscientists have been compiling evidence that consciousness does survive after the body does. A group of University of Virginia students in the Department of Psychiatry and Neurobehavioral Sciences formed a group in the 1960s called the Division of Perceptual Studies. The entire focus of this group has been conducting thorough experiments that prove these beliefs. Thanks to the advancing technology of the 21st century, we're getting to a point where the scientific community at large isn't going to be able to ignore these findings for much longer. It is a very exciting time to be a spooky bitch. (laughs) I am all in on this stuff. You know that. I do. Anybody who knows me knows that. You can probably look at me most days and assume that about me. Where Sir Arthur starts to lose me, though, is on a little something called the Cottingley Fairies. The Cottingley Fairies. Mm -hmm. So for this, we have to jump back a little bit to 1917 when two young Yorkshire girls, 16-year-old Elsie Wright and her nine-year-old cousin Frances Griffith, were being scolded by their mothers for always playing in a nearby stream and coming back into the house with wet clothes. They claimed they couldn't stop playing in that stream because that was the only place they could go to see fairies. Oh, fairies. Fairies. Not not like boats. I was thinking boats. Oh, that would make more sense. I mean, especially like (laughs) we have to keep going to the stream and getting wet because this is where the fairy boat docks. No, no, like pixies. I was thinking there was some incident with the fairies. (laughs) But this is an incident with fairies. Fairies. Yeah. Uh, yeah and you know it was i got kind of tickled listening to this because this does sound like something me and my cousin virginia would have done as kids like there was a pond next door to our grandparents house and we would go over there and like play and and pick flowers and whatever and you know sometimes you get down in the muck and you come back dirty and wet and if they had been like guys you got to stop playing over there but that's where the fairies are like i can see that now elsie being 16 Maybe not so much, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. You can imagine the mom's reaction. It was probably very similar to my mom and my Aunt Lynn's reaction of just, like, rolling their eyes and waving them off, like, fine, go play with your fairies. Like, just, I need a moment of peace in my life. Uh, The girls weren't having that, though. They didn't like the dismissal. So they borrowed Elsie's dad's camera to go collect proof of their claims. Hmm. In addition to a camera, Elsie's dad also had his own dark room. So he developed their pictures. And what do you know? There were the two girls posing with fairies. Posing with fairies? Posing with fairies? So obviously, honey, the fae are real. If you want to call down their wrath by disagreeing with me, that's your business. But in this house, we believe in the fae. I, I admit that... If I if this is my last episode, <laughs> then the fairies have gotten me, folks. Mm-hmm. Um, my last wish for you is to please subscribe, <laughs> comment, and leave us a rating on your favorite podcast <laughs> platform. But if I am here next week, um, we can either assume that the fae are not real. No, we will not. Or be that they showed me kind mercy because of me. You're welcome. We'll just see. Yeah. That being said, what's in these pictures is so incredibly obviously fake. (laughs) So here's the first one with Francis and four or five little fairies dancing around in front of her. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 
The, the <laughs> <laughs> um, these will be on the Instagram, oh, obviously. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. But if you can't see it, um, imagine a, <laughs> a, uh, a, a fuzzy black and white picture um, of the time. Mm-hmm. And very... Um, much more in focus, different exposure, almost like paintings of fairies in the foreground. Right. Superimposed on top. And then here is the second one. So this is Elsie with a fairy in a picture they took two months later. Okay. Uh, Yeah, kind of the same type of thing. This one to me, like it looks almost like a like a marionette puppet. Like the face on it is different. It doesn't look as fairy like to me. Yeah, it's it, yeah. It looks kind of like a gnome. Yeah, yeah, but, and I think it's even called a gnome in a lot of sources. Yeah, it really does look like. Um, I mean, it obviously looks different. It it looks like silent era Mary Poppins. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Um. So of course, both of those will be on be on Instagram. Mm-hmm. But this is. I mean, this is the fakest shit I've ever seen in my life. It's pretty obvious. It's bad. It reminds me, actually, of the little miniaturized dancers from The Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah. Right? It looks a lot like that. Yeah, but those but those are real people. And right. They, and these look like um, paintings or or um, statues mm-hmm. or some kind, of, some kind of art that's been superimposed on top of it. It doesn't even look like they belong in the same frame. But so here's what... St- really strange about that because I agree with you but those pictures like they took the camera they came back with the camera in 30 minutes and then her dad took the camera from her and developed the pictures in the dark room right away so it's impressive for the time period um I just can't I cannot wrap my head around Sir Arthur Conan Doyle looking at these pictures and being like, yep, these are real and fairies are real. And I'm going to write two pamphlets and a book about them. But that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Two pamphlets and a book. So Elsie's mom, Polly Wright was convinced that these photos were real, but her husband immediately denounced them as fake, even though he's the one who developed them like right after they were taken. That's interesting. That's what is so odd to me. So like this has to have been something that they did. Like, those drawings must have been with them somehow. Like, Elsie couldn't have doctored them after the fact. That's what's so weird about it. But it is so fake. Like, it's definitely yeah. fake. A thousand percent. Yeah. But I don't... I cannot figure out how she did it. I mean, it, it, it's maybe it's possible that what really happened is sort of... The, the, the finer details are sort of lost to time. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe he did... Um, maybe he did develop the pictures but they weren't in the original pictures. They were changed after the fact. And that's possible, but for him to see it, I'm like, oh no, this is fake. He's not saying there's nothing there. And her mom is fully on board with it. I mean, instead of seeing a good optometrist, Polly Wright took this hot garbage on the road. Like she toured with these pictures to show people like to prove that fairies were real. And in 1919, it caught the attention of Sir Arthur. That's interesting. And this was the only proof they had. Yeah. Yeah. This this was not even their Cardiff giant or their Fiji mermaid. They didn't have something to take with them except just pictures pictures. of the thing. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then, so there was, you know, the first picture I showed you. And then, you know, a little bit later they took the second one. And then even, I think it was like a couple of years later, 
they took more fairy pictures and but they're all like that yeah very very strange um but this was the point as you'd probably expect where people stopped taking sir arthur seriously because he was adamant about these pictures being real real pictures of real fairies like he had already been publicly ridiculed for his other spiritualist beliefs but it was nothing like the backlash he received for this and you can understand why like a thousand percent like to look at those pictures i am sorry no yeah Uh, no no get your glasses changed like you studied to be an ophthalmologist like maybe go in for the surgery sir like this is not no no i mean don't bully the poor guy publicly (laughs) because in 1919 like he's getting up there like i think he was in his late 50s early 60s at this time so like let's not bully this respected you know older guy but something is obviously not right here if he's being so accepting of something that is just outright silly yeah you know the only thing that makes sense to me personally with this i don't know i mean it's 1919 Photoshop obviously does not exist. (laughs) But despite that, here is an actual physical photograph that shows fairies dancing right in front of a little girl. You know, here's proof, quote unquote, proof that wild and wonderful things exist. Like the metaphysical realm exists. My most strongly held beliefs are valid because here are these pictures. Like I, I get that even if I don't really get it. You know what I mean? I, I, I get it. I mean, motion pictures were invented only 20 years ago, and people, I mean, I mean the first uh, science fiction movie, mm-hmm. Trip to the Moon, you saw people whacking Martians or, <laughs> or Moonanites, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call them, with broomsticks, and they explode into into smoke. I would love to see a version where it is the Moonanites. <laughs> I would love that. And, um, you know, that, that, that was done just by simple, simple uh, editing right. tricks. Probably looked fairly convincing to mm-hmm. people who had never who had who motion pictures were pretty new, but it's sort of the same type of thing, right? You know, well, and you know we compared it to Bride of Frankenstein, but these pictures—I mean, he saw them in 1919. Bride of Frankenstein was still, you know, almost 20 years away. Yeah, but a trip to the moon was 20 years old. Right, but you know what I'm saying? Like that looks similar and. So he probably hasn't seen a lot of stuff like this before. Like this is technology, quote unquote, technology that's still going to be used to make movies in 20 years. That's going to blow people's minds. Yeah, it's uh, well, I mean, people are still fooled today by all sorts of things. Right. So I think it's less about how convincing it is and how easily susceptible the person is to being convinced. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because, I mean, you know me. <laughs> I don't think that spiritual spiritualism is necessarily real. A lot of people did at that time, as uh-huh. he explains. Um, and they believed for a reason. Mm-hmm. And he believed for a reason, even when his best friend was telling him, well, I, you, somebody was, either you were trying to fool me or your wife was trying to fool me. Somebody was trying to fool me mm-hmm. directly. It's fake. And he's still coming up with excuses. Maybe it was the same type of thing. Right. These fairies. I mean, at at some point when you believe these things, there has to be a line in the sand where you're like, well, I believe up to a point. And then everything beyond this is either fake or it it goes too far. I even have a line to be perfectly honest. (laughs) And his line 
he obviously went over the line of most people. Right. I just believe in the Fae. I mean, obviously, they exist and you should, but not this. This These pictures. I mean, you can, you guys will see them on, on Instagram. They'll be on Instagram and Twitter, but what the actual hell? It's, I, it's pretty I, silly. Yeah. <sighs> well, things went downhill from there. Uh, he even broke with the Society for Psychical Research near the end of his life. Mm. They published a review by Theodore Besterman in 1930 that claimed a series of famous sessions with an Italian medium had been faked. So as a reminder, the SPR was set up as a scientific organization that went into its research without prejudice, remaining neither for nor against any sort of paranormal phenomena until they had conclusive evidence. There were things that they did rule to be legitimate and things that they said were fake. So it was by no means unheard of for their journal to feature this sort of story. Sir Arthur was not having it, though. He thought Besterman was way out of line in calling these experiences fake, especially given that he hadn't actually been present at any of them, which I do think is a good point. Mm. In his resignation letter, Sir Arthur wrote, no, hold on for this because he really, he gives it to him. To appreciate the full absurdity as well as the gratuitous offensiveness of Mr. Besterman's alternative theory of fraud, one has to visualize what it exactly implies. Can we dignify such nonsense as this by the name of psychic research? Or is it not the limit of puerile perversity? Wow. Oh, yeah. (laughs) This dude was pissed. No kidding. He went on to accuse the SPR of having lost sight of their own mission and values, claiming that all they actually wanted to do anymore was claim that everything they researched was fake and went so far as to call them opponents of spiritualism. Hmm. He concluded his rather scathing resignation letter by saying, My only resource is, after 36 years of patience, to resign my own membership and to make some sort of public protest against the essentially unscientific and biased work of a society which has for a whole generation produced no constructive work of any kind, but has confined its energies to the misrepresentation and hindrance of those who have really worked at the most important problem ever presented to mankind. Yours faithfully, Arthur Conan Doyle. Unhappy man. Unhappy man. Yeah, that's fair. Hmm. Take no prisoners. Get them. So he was fully over their nonsense. Besterman himself shot back by saying that perhaps Sir Arthur should come forward with facts rather than opinions if the things he believed were so real. Hmm. And it became a media spectacle, at least in the psychic and spiritualist circles. (laughs) Yeah. Sadly, though, Sir Arthur died of a heart attack not long after this, in Hmm. early July of that year, at 71 years old. Six days later, the Spiritualist Association rented out the Royal Albert Hall to hold a public seance hosted by famed clairvoyant Estelle Roberts. His wife, Lady Jean Doyle, and several other members of Sir Arthur's family took the stage, leaving one chair empty for him to join them. A reporter for Time magazine attended the event and reported the following. Suddenly, Mrs. Roberts looked at Sir Arthur's empty chair, cried, He is here! Lady Doyle stood up. The clairvoyant's eyes moved as though accompanying a person who was approaching her. He is wearing evening clothes, she murmured. She inclined her head to listen. A silent moment. Her head jerked up. She stared at Lady Doyle, 
shivered, ran to the widow, whispered. Persons nearby could hear. Sir Arthur told me that one of you went into the hut this morning. Is that correct? Lady Doyle, faltering. Why, yes. She beamed. Her eyes opened widely. The clairvoyant to Lady Doyle. The message is this. Tell Mary. Audience members couldn't hear what was said after that, though, because the organist decided to go full Jerry Lee Lewis for whatever oh, reason. Oh, no. <laughs> just pounding on that, you know, just going crazy on this thing. So Estelle Roberts, Lady Jean, and Sir Arthur's daughter, who is Mary, never told the public what the rest of the message was. I mean, God forbid if they even heard it over this freaking organ, right? To this day, nobody knows what was said, like what the message was to tell Mary. A few days after the seance, Lady Jean spoke to Time Magazine directly, telling them, Although I have not spoken to Arthur since he passed, I am certain that in his own time and his own way, he will send a message to us. His son Adrian also told reporters when asked if he expected to see his father again. Why, of course. My father fully believed that when he passed over, he would continue to keep in touch with us. All of the family believes so, too. There is no question that my father will speak to us just as he did before he passed over. Interestingly, I couldn't find any stories, credible mm. or otherwise, where people have claimed to see Sir Arthur's ghost. Nowhere, ever. And people love famous ghost stories. Yeah, it's really surprising that no one, I mean, not even like... Not even Zach Bagans. Not even Zach Bagans. Not even Zach Bagans has claimed to see the ghost of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Hmm. And that seems really strange to me since he was such a big believer in that stuff. Like you'd think, (laughs) you'd think he would make it a point to let his presence be known. Like maybe he would haunt Theodore Besterman, right? Like here's your proof. Or even for someone to be like, oh yeah, Sir Arthur visited me. Right. Sure. Of course. So to be fair, there were like, of course, a huge boom in seances at this time where people directly tried to contact him and claimed that they did. But that's not the same thing as like seeing a ghost or his family members getting messages and stuff. And they claimed, I mean, they never made a public claim to have gotten a message from him, Hmm. which is really, really you think that would have come out. If it had happened. You would, you would think. As far as why he was so adamant in his beliefs, even at the expense of his reputation and close friendships, I'd like to finish out his story by reading a passage from his book, The Land of Mist. And so this is a story about a skeptical man who's won over by personal experiences with the paranormal. This is taken from the final scene between the main character's daughter and her new husband. One thing we have learned, said he, It is that two souls, where real love exists, go on and on without a break through all the spheres. Why then should you and I fear death or anything which life or death can bring? I know, it's nice. It is nice. But you can see why, you know, if that's kind of how you feel about it, then of course this is, you're going to cling to that. Oh yeah. No matter what it costs you. Mm -hmm. So, Arthur Conan Doyle. Happy Halloween. Wow. Wow. What a guy. Yeah, I know. Very interesting dude. Yeah. A lot more than just Sherlock, it turns out. God bless him. Yeah, apparently. And uh, and he he believed what he believed. Mm hmm. Yeah, I guess, you know, we all have our our little idiosyncrasies. Well, thanks for tuning in and spending some time with us today. 
Hopefully you enjoyed that spooky tale. And if you did, please take a second to rate, review, and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use. Um, I'll get those super credible fairy pictures up on our Instagram and Twitter accounts. We are at Fantastic HPod on both. You can also shoot us a message at fantastichistorypod at gmail.com if you know of any amazing events, people, and mysteries throughout history that you'd like us to cover on the show, or if you just want to say hi. See you on the other side. Ooh. Thank you.